You're listening to the Open Podcasts. I just thought it was destiny. It was his to win or lose. Adam Scott has been the star performer so far. This is what I've been hoping to do ever since picking up a club and following Greg Norman as a kid. Every hole needs to be played the same, with the same amount of intent, the same amount of focus, and that's how you win major championships. Ernie Els to get within four, and he's done it. Saturday night, Ernie said something rather strange. I've got a funny feeling about tomorrow. I just knew that this roar is the biggest, loudest roar I've ever heard. It felt like a winning putt for some reason. Most important tee shot of his life. When does he ever have four bogeys on a spin? Never happens. That's the magic of the Open Championship. Ernie Els, what are you feeling right now? I was sitting there trying to not think about holding the claret jug every five minutes. Maybe I should have just let myself go there. The story of the 2012 Open is simply unforgettable. It's the year the great Ernie Els came from six shots behind on the final day to claim a second claret jug, a decade after winning his first. It is good from Ernie Els. A wondrous putt in the final green, a great round from Ernie Els. Now don't get me wrong, Ernie was a deserving champion. But the 141st Open is remembered just as much for the exploits of a player who didn't win. Adam Scott is the Aussie who won the Masters in 2013, but that hadn't happened yet. So Scotty headed to Royal Litham and St Anne's in 2012, dreaming of a first major win. He's going towards the hole. Is he going to hold one at last? He did! He did! Huge putt for Adam Scott, and that, folks, might be that. But things didn't quite go to plan. I'm Ewan Porter, and together we're going to relive one of the Open's most gut-wrenching finishes. Even Ernie said sorry afterwards. Now let's go back to the start of Championship Week. Adam Scott has just celebrated his 32nd birthday and arrives at Royal Litham in a determined mood. Off the back of the US Open, I played really well, except the first seven holes of the tournament. I think I was six over. And I think I finished six over for the tournament and maybe finished about 10th. I just was really annoyed. And I went on this like practice regime for the next three weeks where I hit probably two bags of golf balls every day for at least two weeks. It was, it was just relentless. And I was just like, I'm just going to work myself into a place where it can't go wrong. Scott had a great team around him too. His caddy that week was almost as famous as him. Alongside Stevie Williams, and I wonder just how important that might be to have a man who's been there and done it alongside someone else so many times. Oh, tremendous advantage. He's excellent caddy. Steve Williams had worked for the great Tiger Woods for 13 scintillating years, right up until he and Tiger parted ways the year before. The Kiwi then joined forces with Scott and was expecting big results. I actually would put that down as one of the most enjoyable experiences I had to caddy for Adam. Um, I was very familiar with his game prior to caddying for him and always wondered why he didn't play better in major championships. You know, he obviously had the capability of winning tournaments, but had a very poor record in majors. So when the opportunity came to caddy for Adam, 
I saw that as a, you know, a real challenge to see if there was something we could do about it. Every time he spoke, he was precise, clear, and confident when he spoke to me. And even if we disagreed, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it was my decision whether I went with it or not. But, but he was so calculated and he had his routines and his own program so much that he, that he delivered everything he said with confidence. And that ultimately gave me confidence. And it was kind of the last bit of self-belief I needed in the big puzzle of trying to play great and win the biggest tournaments in the world. Despite being on the other side of the globe, we Aussies have always had a strong connection with the Open Championship. Quite frankly, we love it. Melbourne's Peter Thompson won it five times in the 50s and 60s. What a thrill to win at last. Peter Thompson of Australia was joined by his wife the moment after he'd won. Kel Nagel claimed his only major when he triumphed at St Andrews in 1960. Rather a dark horse, the 39-year-old Australian had every reason to be proud of his success. That rain was enough to put anyone off. And more recently, Ian Baker Finch was crowned Champion Golfer of the Year in 1991, sandwiched between the legendary Greg Norman in 86 and 93. In fact, the shark had quite the impact on a fellow Queenslander. Lots of adrenaline, so he might well have taken one club less than usual. How about that? Thank you very much. Well, he, he was my hero. He was it. His style of play was so appealing. You know, it was aggressive. He, he swung at it hard. He drove the ball great. He won big and he lost big as well. And, and you know, I think that captivated everyone. Final one, hopefully for Greg Norman. Yes, well done. He's done it at last. Greg Norman, the champion for 1986. Norman had since become a mentor to Adam, as had one of the tour's good guys, 42-year-old South African, Ernie Els. Adam came along in 2000, and um, I watched him as an amateur a little bit. You know, we became friends. I mean, obviously, I'm a little bit of his senior. But we were great friends, and, you know, I think I pulled him along. He learned a lot from me. Let's face it, Ernie had a lot of wisdom to pass on. The Big Easy claimed his first major at the US Open in 1994, then won it again in 97. He'd come close to winning the Open in 96 and 2001, before he finally did it at Muirfield a year later. Oh, the third time of asking, Ernie Else is the champion of 2002. But oh my word. He gave his family and friends and, and all of us many heart attacks. By 2012, Ernie was optimistic of another shot at the Open, as was his longtime caddy, Ricky Roberts. Two, three weeks before, I thought, I'm going to take a drive over and I'm going to go have a look at the golf course. And I was driving back that evening about eight, nine o'clock, and he called me and he said, uh, so what do you think? And I said, well, to be honest with you, I just think if you just play your game, they will not beat you on this golf course. I'm European Tour professional Paul Eels, and I was broadcaster at the 2012 Open Championship at Roy Lytham, my local course. Now, Lytham is, is one of the hardest uh, courses on the Open Championship road, and I, I know through personal experience of being a, a member there that we always used to say that the golf course doesn't really start till the final five holes. They're all par fours, 
and that's you're never going to make a score on those last but you can easily drop some shots but not only do you need to get off to a good start you've, you've got to be on your game finishing strongly well a very good morning what is a drizzly overcast gray morning here on the northwest of england but probably pretty good conditions for the early players out there this morning teeing off on thursday was a who's who of the best players in the world a big english challenge was expected led by lee westwood and world number one luke donald i think luke and lee have got something to prove they're extraordinary international golfers that have just fallen short on the major front. Northern Irishman Darren Clark, a popular winner the year before, was looking to defend the Claret Jug with pride. His compatriot Rory McIlroy had just won his second major and looked on track for a third, recording four birdies and just one bogey in his first 12 holes. Oh, he has it, he has it. Listen to the roar from the crowd, which follows this young man around. Back-to-back -back birdies, three under par. A nice start for McElroy. That was until unfortunately striking a spectator on 15. I'm standing next to the young man right now that just was hit in the head with Rory McElroy's ball. Are you okay? What happened? I'm fine. Yeah, I, I didn't see the ball. She's come first on your bats when it hit me in the head. All right, and what did you get for your troubles? Uh, signed glove. Very nice. There it is right next to me. We're glad you're all right. Global superstar Tiger Woods had his own headache. The 14-time major winner hadn't won one since 2008, but started the championship as the big favourite. Do you ever feel a, a sense of anxiety over when or if the, the next one is coming? No, no. I'm just trying to, trying to put myself there. And I think that if I continue putting myself there, you know, enough times, then um, I'll win major championships. Everything goes quiet, sets it on its way, and in it goes. Yet another birdie for Tiger Woods. His third birdie of the morning so far, Tiger Woods at three under par after six. Woods wasn't able to improve on that score, but he fared much better than some of his rivals. Westwood ended his first round three over whilst Donald could only hold on to level par. The Big Easy, meanwhile, was having a whale of a time. Par five, and Ernie nudges it in. This last season, he's starting to believe again that he can get right back to the top Ernie Els. I felt my swing was, was swinging really nice. I felt something in my swing, and I could hit this little fade you know, into the fairways. The fairways were very narrow. They had a lot of rain going that year at Lytham. It was quite green, but there was a lot of rough. We had perfect conditions the first couple of days. Guys were shooting low scores. Played with Darren Clark, my good friend, who won the previous year in his 40s. Shot a very, very easy 67 the first day. This for a round of 67, 33 out, 34 back. Tied fifth at three under par, three off the lead. And he really does look like a man who's having a a second life. Two shots better off than Ernie were the trio of Zach Johnson, Nicholas Colsarts, and Paul Laurie. As for our Aussie hero, Adam Scott, he was charging up the leaderboard. Yes. Myself and Steve Williams and Brad Malone, my coach, we 
we took the attitude there that week that I'm going to play the first hole of the tournament like it's the 72nd hole of the tournament and you're playing in contention and, and take a real focus right from the start. And that was our big goal at the start of that week. Got in for a birdie. Ties Tiger at the top of the leaderboard. The practice rounds we played absolutely, you know, flawlessly, basically. So you, you, you get a real good sense of how a player's playing. And when you're playing in those practice rounds, you get a sense that they're going to be in contention this week. And then the key from there is to make sure they don't over-practice, play too many holes and that sort of thing. So that when they get to the first tee Thursday, you know, they're ready to go for 72 holes. This to go to seven under. All the work I'd put in and all the effort and maybe loading the pressure up to start this major and believing it was our time to win was validated on Thursday at least. Just a little tidy up to go yet. There it is. 64. Wonderful start. I'm Jim Tucker, golf writer. I was lucky enough to cover the 2012 Open at Royal Lytham and St Anne's. I just thought it was destiny, to be honest. I thought he'd played so well and people have got to understand that he'd already had those top 10 finishes in majors and had done his prerequisite learning to, to know how to close out a tournament of that nature. Well, that's what everyone had thought and he had a, he'd had a good year. As we know, Adam's swapped and changed between the long putter and the short putter. And this particular week, he had the long putter out and it was working like a magic wand. It really was. I think he was, uh, you know, that first round of 64 could have been a lot lower than that. Um, not only did he play well, he, he obviously rolled the putts in. It was a fabulous first day's play. Weather overnight has been wet, wet, wet. It has been chucking it down. The good news for the players heading out now is there are blue skies ahead, but it does mean the course is very wet. But Scuddy would continue to be stellar through Friday's soggy second round, carding an assured 67. Fantastic. Two tremendous rounds, 64, 67, nine on the par. Maybe he'll fulfill a dream this week. He's in a perfect spot going into the weekend. Tiger Woods was also in the hunt as he moved into third place at six under par. But it was another American who stole the headlines on Friday. Brad Snedeker, the birdie on one, to five under par. Tennessee-born Brant Snedeker's bogey-free round propelled him to overnight leader, a shot ahead of Scott. And wow, does he love the Open. Every year I've gone over, I've had a great time. Every year's been a better year than the year before. And uh, I've had a lot of fun over there. You know, I, I embrace the lifestyle, I embrace the golf, going to local pubs and seeing the, seeing the people and having a few pints at night and eating the local food and, and having a great time. Well, I think some of the senior pros, when he came on tour as a young man, had said to him, you've got to go over there and it's something different playing Lynx golf to, to what you've ever played before. And, and you've got to embrace that. You know, again, from these players, if you're feeling comfortable in your environment and your surroundings, the likelihood is you're going to, you're going to play well, and, and certainly that was the case for Snedeker and Scott. This for a birdie on this 492-yard uh, sixth hole, and look at that. Will you look at that? Amazing. What a wonderful putt. Great birdie there on probably the hardest par four on this golf course. 
And it's a real tough read, just trying to get it close. I, if I get within three feet, I was happy. And I hit one of those putts. And when you're putting good, you know, those long ones always seem to kind of find their way on the right line. And I, the minute I hit it, I said, that felt pretty good. And then about five feet from the hole, I think I started walking. Because I knew it was right in the middle of the hole. And that's one of those ones you, you feel like you're stealing a shot and a half on the field. This for a 10 under par total. Beautifully done, Russ. Confident. Two great runs of golf. 66, 64, 130 blows equals the open record for the 36 holes. And he spread eagle the field. Look at that for a card. You know, what's funny is I didn't think I was doing anything that special. You know, I just thought I was just playing the golf course with the way I thought it could be played. And um, I realized, you know, looking back on it, that I played 36 holes pretty flawlessly. You know, not, 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 not to make a bogey over that course a period of time. It's pretty unbelievable in a major. But a pretty neat moment to see your name on the top of that leaderboard. You know, obviously you won after 72 holes, but uh, after 36 holes, it's still pretty special. Only to finish with a flourish. You can do with knocking this in. There's a bunch of guys at four under. He could join them at three under. Ernie Yells from 12 feet. Just on a good angle, this is. It hits a good part. Oh, well done, Ernie. He's finished with a birdie. Puts him to three under par. The hat comes off. There's a huge smile on his face. So Ernie goes round in level par today, a score of 70. I mean, he played pretty solid. He just didn't make any putts, you know. And, you know, there were a couple other guys, and Scotty was playing well, and so on and so forth. And sort of going into Saturday, he sort of had this sort of sinking feeling, thinking, well, if we don't make a score, yeah, it's going to be the same old story, you know, second, third. In 1996, when I finished second to Tom Lehman, you know, I kind of blew it there. And I found myself in the exact same room that we had in 1996. I'd go down for breakfast in the mornings. Tom Watson sitting here, Tony Jacklin sitting over there. I'm thinking, this is good karma. And you know, all these guys are open champion winners. Tony Jacklin winning in 69. I was born in 69. I was putting these things together at night when I'm sitting watching BBC. <laughs> but need Ricky Roberts and Ernie have worried? Perhaps this moment on Friday was an early sign that 2012 might just belong to a veteran after all. Now, Tom Watson, come on. 30 feet. Oh, yes! <laughs> Would you believe it? That's what's so wonderfully eccentric about this game. Tom's in for the weekend. Good morning and welcome to the most glorious day up on the northwest coast of England. Royal Lytham and St Anne's bathed in sunshine for the third round of the 141st Open Championship. After some brilliant low scoring on the first two days, mistakes started to creep in at the front of the field. Overnight leader Snedeker recorded his first bogey of the week on the fifth, then five more followed. Now Snedeker got a bit of a break here, his tee shot was in the Rough down the left, he hacked away at his second, it kicked in off a post, that sounded a little bit heavy. That sounded dreadful. Oh, poor man has just lost his concentration. That's what major championships do. You know, they, they lull you into a sense of confidence and a sense of self-being, you know, self-worth, and then all of a sudden, one bad mistake leads to another bad mistake, leads to a snowball effect, and you know, you can't feel like you can't stop it. He's now got a three, three and a half footer for bogey. Forward it goes, in it goes, but it's a drop shot and back to five under par. Five shots dropped by Brant Snedeker today. 
you're gonna have a stretch of nine holes where you just don't play good. I don't care what anybody says. And of course, 72 holes, even if you play flawlessly, you're gonna have nine holes where it just doesn't go right. And I was fully expecting that and prepared for it. I'm not, I was not under any illusion that I was gonna play 72 holes perfect golf around there, because it just ain't gonna happen. Perfection did seem in the grasp of his playing partner though. Adam Scott made the turn having picked up two birdies and a stunning save on 10 put him firmly in the driving seat. Scotty after a poor tee shot, just get this back in play. There are these moments, of course, in every tournament and uh, they're not always at the end of the tournament when it's most critical, but even when you're on top of your game like I felt I was, it is hard to stay out of trouble for 72 holes. Adam has to be very careful. It is so fast just beyond the hole. It was quite good. <laughs> I think it might be his week, let alone his day. The 2010 US Open champion, Graham McDowell, also started drawing attention. Six shots off the lead going into the weekend, three birdies on the back nine reinvigorated his championship challenge as he moved to tied second with Snedeker at seven under. Par four, 13th hole, call it 10 feet away. Sends it on its way, curling it in for Graham McDowell. Finally gets it to five under par. I remember that back nine on Saturday. I really did feel like I clicked into a, to, to a different level. You know, I was able to make a little bit of a late charge to be the guy that maybe had a chance to look at him in the eye on Sunday afternoon. The putter was just in the groove, and at that point I thought, here we go. He goes in, he gets to six under, the second birdie in a row. Oh yes, McDowell again, back-to-back -back birdies. I really was just controlling the golf ball the way I wanted to be controlling it. I couldn't have played those last six or seven holes any better. Back, through, on its way, and he's made it! Graham McDowell, seven under par through 17. I guess the Donalds and the Westwoods and, and the Rory McIlroys and the real homegrown stars were just kind of not firing. And, and I seemed to be the guy that was kind of putting myself on the leaderboard and, and they got right behind me. I felt great coming off the course, got myself into the last group with Adam on Sunday and I felt ready to go. Joining McDowell in contention on Sunday would be Tiger Woods as an even par round of 70 kept him in the hunt for his fourth Open Championship win. His old rival Ernie had quietly been going about his business. 18th green, Ernie Els putting for a birdie at five under par. Is it gonna turn you? Oh, it did as well and it caught the left edge of the lip. How did that stay out? Ernie Els though in the frame to win this Open Championship. An excellent round of golf, three birdies, just the one drop shot, he taps in for a round of 68, and he is at five under par. Well, Saturday night, Ernie said something rather strange. We were out at dinner, and he said to my mate, he says, I've got a funny feeling about tomorrow. That's all he said. The really good vibes coming off the golf course of I've played really well, leading the Open today. This is, this is a real positive thing. Uh, the vibes were good. But getting later into the evening, it was, it was definitely challenging after dinner time to switch the mind off. And I found it very hard not to think ahead. It was so exciting. Adam Scott has been the star performer so far.
leading by four ahead of Graham McDowell, who finished very strongly, and Brand Snedeker, who fell away and then came back at the end. Tiger Woods at six under, starts five behind. Zach Johnson and Ernie Els, six behind. We really have a thrilling final day in prospect. On the tee from South Africa, Ernie Els. CV was just in my mind for some reason, and you know that, especially that final round. You know that final round, I was not really in the mix, but I felt I was because I knew how tough it was going to be for Adam and all these first time, so to be winners of a major championship. How much anxiety goes in there, you know? Adam Scott came into the final day ready to ride himself into golf history. Stay calm, Scotty and you'll win your first major. And he sets this off a long way down the right. Now, is the wind pushing that in or not? It certainly is. Fantastic shot, just running past the left-hand side of the flag, and in a similar position to Tiger Woods in the second cut at the back. It's a good start, Gordon, with a tricky little chip. The one thing you, you, you've got to be so careful of when you're a caddy is getting ahead of yourself. You can't let yourself think what might happen at the end of the day. Well, I can tell you, Adam Scott's just hit his chip and it's a little heavy. He's gonna have a tester on the very first green. Oh, it's a good seven and a half feet, eight feet. This is what I've been hoping to do ever since turning professional, ever since picking up a club and following Greg Norman as a kid. And here it was, 18 holes from seeing a dream come true and lifting the claret jug like Greg Norman. He'd grown up on Greg Norman. He'd cried when Greg Norman couldn't close out the Masters in 96. Uh, he had been someone who had followed in the Sharks' footsteps from Queensland, from Australia, and gone on to great deeds around the world. And he was finding it just as hard to close out a major as, as the Shark. Papa on its way for Adam Scott, and he has missed on the left. There's a change at hole number one. He has missed it on the left, bogey four. That'll settle you down, won't it, Gordon? Not. That is a nervy, nervy pitch and putt there for Adam Scott. A very good tee shot on, but unfortunately, he makes bogey on the first. He goes to 10 under. A less than ideal start for the Queenslander then, especially after his playing partner, McDowell, piled on the pressure on the same hole. Yes, GMAC, you can hear the applause. has just hold his par part at the first. So he nicks one back off Adam Scott. Oh, this is going to be a marvellous final round. All of a sudden, I'm thinking, you know, I've got this putt just to, just to start turning the screw a little bit here. And it was nice, you know, making that putt and, and walking off to the second tee box thinking, great, you know, this is exactly what I wanted. This is the start I needed. Scott's lead was suddenly down to just two shots, but his response was emphatic. 203 yards to the flag, Adam Scott. Big high swing. And he strikes this forward towards the right edge of the green. It is drawing. It's turning onto the flag. Wonderful line. Needs to run up the green, it's doing so. This is a tremendous goal shot. How close is it going to be? The answer is pretty close. What a reply. Well, it was just a class shot. It was almost a soft cut into the wind, and then he just let the wind drop it down, pitched in the perfect place. That's just about the best shot I've seen in this Open Championship. It's going to be a hard-fought day, and that's what it felt like as that round went on. You know, and a birdie was hard to come by, as you would have seen looking at the scorecard after that second hole. As he settles over the long putt, last look, 
It's a pendulum action. It swings back, it swings through, and he holds it. What a three that is for Adam Scott. Back to level par for the day. Adam made the turn at nine under, despite three confidence testing bogeys in his first six holes. But he was still in control. After all, he'd been in control since day one. McDowell, Snedeker and Tiger were within striking distance. But one by one, they'd come unstuck. Well, you certainly can't say this is dull. Down the step for Snedeker, 4-6. All of a sudden, Scotty's got a four-shot lead again. Just like that. Double bogey there for Snedeker. You know, you gotta make those on Sundays, and they're just tough. Tougher to make on Sundays, I hit a bad putt and missed it. And, you know, you go double-double there, it's just a killer. You can't, hard to come back from that. I'm not saying it's impossible, but anytime you double holes in majors, you're, you're giving up way too many. Tiger Woods with this bogey putt from down on the front of the green. He actually had the pin held in because he clearly couldn't see the hole from where he is, but that's one drop shot. Six really, uh, really put me behind the eight ball. Over it now, and he's missed it. He's missed it. It's going to be a triple, and it still isn't dead. He has to mark it and have another look. If I, if I had anything to, to do over again, I'd hit the putts a little bit harder because it kept dying off at the front edge. Crowd can hardly believe it. Tiger Woods pops it in this time, but that is a seven, a triple bogey seven, and he goes to three under par from six under. Yeah, a lot of bunkers down the left, 275 yards to reach, 290 to get past them. From McDowell, oh! Boy, he came close. He's great now. Wow, that tee shot's gone about 320. Having come off bogeys on 9 and 10, just try to play the hole very aggressively. And for some reason, I just had bad pictures in my head at 11 all week. I had this phobia of this right-hand side of this fairway. I don't know why. You know, and all of a sudden, at the last minute on that swing on 11, I just came straight over the top and just flat pull-hooked it into the only few places in the golf course where the, where the ball is going to be unfindable and unplayable. Oh my goodness, over the top. He's topped it. Wow. He's gone right towards those trees over on the left-hand side, over the shoulders of everybody that's in the crowd there. I think you're right. I think that could be goodbye to that golf ball. With McDowell's ball nestled comfortably amongst the bushes on 11, his chances of open glory were effectively over. As others faltered, there was one man in the field who just wouldn't go away. Now, can earn the, uh, a simple chip, plenty of room, just oh, that little stab over poor lie. Oh, about that. Oh! I just felt we needed something special. I said to Ricky, come on, we're going to go for it this back nine. And I said, let's play like Seve. Let's play it the way Seve would have played. Playing good. Again, not quite making the putts, and Scotty wasn't making many mistakes on that front nine. Anyway, then just put the foot on the pedal on the back nine. Ernie Earl's second shot, 10. Yeah. Well played. Very nice. I went with the driver there. He just short of the green, chipped it on, birdied. Yes, and she goes now, just five behind. Still plenty of time. Didn't birdie 11. He had a really good shot on 12. Par 3. Make that putt for birdie. Ernie Els to get within four. And he's done it. 
14, I went with driver. Get it all the way down the middle of the fairway. Wedge on, make that putt. Looks good. Made a very good save on 15. You know, 16 went for the green. You know, it was the only bad putt I hit. I left it short from six feet. As Els lined up his tee shot on 17, Scotty was eyeing up a big putt on 14. Still three shots ahead of his great friend. Adam Scott's putt for a birdie. He's not wasting any time. He's got a mission. He knows what he's got to do. He's going towards the hole. Is he going to hole one at last? He did! He did! Huge putt for Adam Scott. And that, folks, might be that. Can't count your chickens, but that gives him another shot cushion. A putt just fell over the edge. And I felt that could be the putt that gets me over the line is the feeling at the time because it felt like I'd been trying for so long that day to get something to happen and finally it happened and obviously going to the 15th tee with a with a four shot lead is a good feeling. We're talking after 2am in Australia and people once there's an Australian involved they, they do ride the whole journey and they were watching it well after midnight well after 2am. It was his to win or lose, and really that was everyone's tournament view. It was Adam Scott's tournament, and he just had to close it out those last four holes when he did have a four-stroke lead. With four to play, Adam Scott was on the brink of capturing the claret jug. What followed seemed almost beyond comprehension, especially for Aussies like me, up and watching through bleary eyes in the middle of the night. As a caddy, I always had this scenario that, 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 that I did was, how would you play the last three holes if you were you know, comfortably ahead? I stuck with what I thought, we'd, that I thought about, and that was obviously with that kind of lead was to play conservatively. Well, it was interesting because he did a wonderful drive down 15 and just pulled a long iron into a greenside bunker. Uh, he didn't play the best of bunker shots and then the long putter that he'd been wheeled in so well wasn't a great putt, missed there, so made bogey. But as you walk to the 16th tee at Roy Litherman St. Hans, as you come off the 17th, you walk past that tee to get to the 18th. And Ernie Elts, who was walking to the 18th tee, had seen Adam make bogey at that time. Final hole for Ernie Elts, and the big stick is out. Absolutely no worse than a part is it coming back? Beauty from Els. I mean, can you write the script any better? <laughs> I mean, you know, all the people down there, I'm starting to feel the people's energy. I mean, the whole back nine, when I started making birdies, they were just, just giving me so much support. You know, when you come up that 18th hole on Sunday at the Open Championship, it's the greatest feeling in the world. I mean, you, it's very difficult to describe to people what that feeling is like. I can only surmise that it's like being at an FA Cup final or a World Cup final or a Rugby World Cup final or a Cricket World Cup or something like that, you know. It is the most awesome feeling on the planet. Playing with Zach Johnson, and I remember his caddy came to me on 18, and his caddy's hair was standing up like this. And he said, you know you're going to win this thing. 
I said, well, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to, you know, we're going to make birdie on 18. When I hit this putt and it had all that speed, took out all the break that ever was there, and it hit the back of the cup. It is good for Manny Els. He still has a chance. A wondrous putt in the final green, a great round for Manny Els. And it may not, may not be his final shot today. Golf is all about, a lot of times, about feelings, and it felt like a winning putt for some reason. I mean, I know Adam still had three, four holes to go, but I just knew that this roar was the biggest, loudest roar I've ever heard for myself, and he's going to hear that because he's just coming around that loop, so he's going to have a lot of pressure. So um, that was one of the most special moments uh, of my career, being on that green, with the people just going nuts and, um, you know, with Ricky there and, and a, lot, a lot of special feelings there on that green. Despite Adam's bogey on 15, he was still two shots clear of Ernie with three to play. If he parred the 16th, he'd have one hand on the most coveted prize in golf. Okay, Scotty, big putt. That is purely nerves. That's all it is. I missed a fairly short putt on 16. Maybe it was two and a half feet. I'm, I might be even being generous to myself there, two and a half feet. But OK, I don't really know what I did wrong on it. I can't remember now. So on the 17th, he took six iron and had rode the wind left far more than he thought it would and went wide, bounced into some tricky rough to the left of the green. and. Um, Graham McDowell said it well, he said, look, he had half of England to the right of the pin and he missed it left. I was shocked that I pulled it like that uh, with the whole world out to the right and I'm in long grass down to the left of the green, the only place you can't be and of course didn't give myself a very good look at par and missed. And now I stand on the 18th tee tied with Ernie. Oh, well, Ernie's decided to stick around, Peter, and go to the putting green, get a stay in the mode, stay in the right intensity. I thought at best probably a playoff. But the unique thing about Lytham is all of those bunkers are strategically placed. Out of all the courses on the open roster, the bunkering on that golf course is probably the most unique out of all. Question, Robert. Yeah. If you're Adam Scott, do you think birdie to win, par for playoff? Would you be aggressive or do you, given what's happened over the last 10 minutes, no, play it safe? You don't think any of those things. You think get it in the fairway. It's your only thought. Get this shot in the fairway. As I was walking from the 17th green to the 18th tee, normally, you know, he's going to ask me what club do you think? And the only club in my mind that it wasn't was a three wood. It was either a two iron or a driver. Uh, and he elected to hit the three wood. And, you know, when a guy's standing on the 18th tee with a chance to win his first major, uh, and, and he's coming off a succession of not quality shots that a guy would, had been hitting, He's obviously feeling the pressure a little bit, and I didn't want to force him into a club that he's standing over thinking he's going to hit, not going to hit a good shot. I think Steve would say the same. You know, the error was made on the tee between us. It was probably the only time we, we just weren't in sync. And I watched Graham McDowell hit a three-wood off the tee, and he kind of fanned it out to the right in a very wide-open spot. There's only one bush over there. You'd be unlucky to go in it. 
but we hadn't hit three wood off that tee all week. It was iron or driver. And I saw him kind of hit it safe over there. And I said to Steve, I should hit three wood. Here he is at 18, most important tee shot of his life. It's a beautiful balanced swing. Hopefully it's all right for him. Let's see where this lands and pitches. And that is too far left. And I think that is bunkered. It is. It's bunkered. It's bunkered and it's close to the face. He can't reach the green in two. Ernie Els, what are you feeling right now? What was that from Adam Scott? I mean, my good friend, Johan Rupert, was on the phone. He was giving me live commentary um, on some of the holes, um, especially 18, you know. Um, I remember him telling me, you know, he drove it in the bunker, and I thought, Oof. Now back to Adam Scott, who must simply get this out, and he does, Gordon. Yeah, as we said, that's all he could do. He's just about come out sideways, and that's going to leave him approximately 140 into the target. There, there weren't really many options. My option was to hit it out where I did, but I actually had, I actually had to get really focused to hit that shot because I had to hit it over the next bunker as well to get it then on the fairway, so I, I didn't afford to misstrike that shot, even though it's a fairly straightforward shot, but <laughs> certainly didn't want to compound that error. Deathly hush on both sides of these colossal stands at the 18th, waiting to see if there's yet more drama. Let's watch this one in flight. He's twiddled the club, he's watching it. And this one is spectacular. Brilliant shot from Adam Scott. You know this isn't over. If he makes a four here, he's a real man. That's what he is. He's a real man because he has collapsed over the previous half an hour or so. That is a genius shot, and I would say no more than eight feet for the tie. I think one of the strengths of my game is not dragging my chin along the ground. Woe is me. I've, I'm losing the open. I really focused up and hit a great shot into the green and I was incredibly confident that I would make that putt. Pace and line. Well, Sounds a bit obvious. Yeah, well, everything's got to be right this time. Everything's got to be stroke, spot on. Breathing. This is it. This to tie. And as you know, at the open, there are a lot of flat putts with tiny, tiny subtleties along the way, and that was one of them. It's like kind of a putt you'd love to have up and up until the moment it rolled past the edge, I was fully confident that I would uh, I would roll that putt in. As he sets the putt ahead in behind the ball, the greatest nine feet of his life, Adam Scott, to tie any else, and it has just rolled past the left edge. Heartbreak for Adam Scott. We have a new. Open champion in the form of Ernie Els, and this has been a traumatic final hour at this year's Open Championship. Extraordinary. I felt kind of numb. I, I didn't really know what to feel. You know, disbelief a little bit. You know, the night before, I, I was sitting there trying to... <laughs> maybe incorrectly trying to not think about holding the claret jug every five minutes. Maybe I should have just let myself go there. I remember first things I said, I said, I'm sorry. I said to him, you know, I've been here, I've done this, um, I'm sorry. You know, and he just 
he didn't say anything. And uh, I just wanted to hug him the whole time. And I saw him on the green there. I just wanted to put my arm. I just wanted to, to hug him because I've, I know what he was going through. Well, first of all, I feel for my buddy, uh, Adam Scott. Um, buddy. Scotty, you're a, you're a great player, great friend of mine. We've had some great battles in the past. I'm, I feel very fortunate, and um, you're going to win many of these. You've got too much talent. I, I really felt like he said something that struck a chord with me that was, oh, he's not feeling sorry for me. He wants me to get out there and, and win the next one. The very first thing that Adam said when we got in the car Steve, you're absolutely correct. It's got to be 72 holes, not 68. And you know what? There was never, not another word said that night about it. <laughs> so he knew right there and then that what we were trying to accomplish, we were nearly there. And, you know, it was, that's all we said. It was great. It, was, it couldn't have been any better. Adam Scott's defeat after four closing bogeys remains one of the most heartbreaking finales in open history. While Scotty wouldn't quite go on to win the next major championship, he wouldn't have to wait long for his breakthrough. Less than a year after his lithium collapse, he created history by becoming the first Australian to win the Masters. To let an opportunity slip like that was very difficult as a competitor and as a dreamt of winning the Open Championship my whole life. But I really felt like for the first time in my career, I'd taken my game to a level where I controlled the outcome of a major championship. It was all on me. The good play continued. I felt like my game was in a good spot and obviously things started to fall into the right place at Augusta. To have that so freshly in his mind within nine months to go to Augusta, to be in a dogfight on the final day and to win at a playoff for Australia, that, that's like winning the Tour de France for the first time with Cadell Evans. To be Adam Scott was just tremendous because he, he ticked every, every boxes the sort of guy that Aussies wanted to win. Ernie Els played brilliant golf at Royal Lytham, and it's remarkable he never led the Open until the moment he won it. But by lifting the claret jug at the age of 42, he showed just about anything is possible, especially for his good buddy, Adam Scott. Even though I'm 41, I've, I've tried to do a lot of the right things for my fitness and for my game to be relevant at this age there's an unfinished business for me at the open and it's a tournament i am desperate to win and while i remain healthy i feel like it's a tournament as long as i'm in it i i am going to give myself a good chance to win it again and i hope i get to play it for many many years to come and not just 40 year olds but let's remember Tom Watson, who's one of the greatest players ever, but nearly won at 59. The story of 2012 was narrated by me, Ewan Porter. It was written and produced by Rob Day and edited by Alastair Creswell. Supporting producers include Chris Lewis, Mike Birch, and Matt Adams. The executive producers were Paul Sutcliffe and Steve Tebb. Thanks for listening. This has been an original audio production.
from the open.